Well, as Jake said earlier this morning, we're going to <clears throat> look at the matter of preaching. This is the third week of a series on what it means for us to gather together. In other words, we're exploring, so why did you come today? Why are we here? What's the purpose of this gathering? Or maybe you're here and you're back in church after having been gone for a long time, or maybe you're just here trying to figure some things out in terms of your own spiritual journey. Regardless of why you're here today, we're glad that you're here. And our aim today is to think about how do we listen to and what are the significance, what is the significance of preaching. I'm not exactly sure how old I was personally when I felt the call, but I remember very clearly the effect. By the call, I'm referring to, at least in my life, the call to gospel ministry, to do what I'm doing right now, to be a preacher of the Bible. That calling came in my life very young. In fact, I can't think of a specific time that it was there, it just, or that it wasn't there, it just kind of emerged over time. I do remember though, when I was about seven or eight years old, I was sitting in Prairie Edge Christian Reformed Church in Portage, Michigan, pastor named Pastor Jack was delivering the word, and I remember that as he unpacked the text, my heart burned, like I could feel it. Before I even knew what to call it, before I knew how to define it, before I knew how to theologically explain it, here's what I knew. The word was preached, it landed on my heart, I loved it, and I wanted more. That experience happened multiple times. And I remember thinking and saying to my parents after one of those services, that's what I want to do with my life. And I also remember telling them, but I have one suggestion. <laughs> Instead of starting with the catechism, I'd probably just start with the book of the Bible and explain it all the way through. That was my advice to my pastor. I didn't tell him, just my parents. The intersection between the word and your heart is the combination of the weight of the Bible such that you see the glory of God. That's what happens. The reality was in that moment, and I hope that in moments of your own lifetime, it's not just that you're drawn to the Bible, but rather you're drawn to the power of the Bible speaking right into your life. It wasn't until I was in seminary that I even had a category for what was happening in my soul as a, as a young boy and as I grew in my teenage years. It's what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones called theology on fire or Stephen Olford called unction or John Piper calls expositional exaltation. The idea is that as the word is unfolded that something within your heart says this helps me to see something I wouldn't have seen. The Bible becomes a window, a window to see the glory of God. It happens when you're reading the Bible on your own and something leaps off the page, it grabs your heart. It is this, this supernatural encounter with the word of God. It happens in a counseling scenario where a counselor is applying the word to a hurting person. It happens as a counselee when you hear the word and you think, yes, that's exactly what I need to do. And part of the joy of 
preaching is knowing that even as we gather together, I hope and prayer that that could happen again for every one of us. As glorious as those moments are individually, there's something unique about what it means to gather with God's people. When we come together on this day of the week, and we listen to the word together, we explain and understand what the word is saying, there's something significant about what it means for us to be together as the body of Christ. That this moment is different than a podcast. It's different than simply a download of a sermon. There's something special as the word of God in the community of God is read to the people of God and as they receive the word of God. I hope that in your own life that you can think back of your own experiences where in a moment of corporate worship that you heard the word, it landed on your heart, something inside you changed, you were moved and you saw something in that moment. So today we're exploring through 2 Timothy 3 and chapter 4, what is preaching and listening as it relates to our assembly together? My aim today is to try and help you to understand the importance of the Bible in terms of its centrality for our Sunday morning gatherings, but also to help you to know then if the Bible's important, then how should we listen? Even what should your posture be this morning as you've come and as we're here together even now, how should we think about how we listen? Let me first help you understand what the word is. The reason you should listen to the Bible, the reason you should listen to sermons, The reason that you should listen now is because of what the Bible is. There's definitions, there's words that matter. Look at verse 14. Paul writing to Timothy, who's a young protege, who's timid, this is the end of Paul's life, his final letter, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, And how from childhood you have been acquainted, here's the first term, with the sacred writings. That's what the Bible is. It's sacred writings. And then it says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then verse 16, all scripture. So we have two words that are really important to understand what the Bible is. That it's sacred writings and also scripture. In the context here of 2 Timothy, the idea of it being sacred writings is reference to the Old Testament. Timothy didn't have the New Testament. It wasn't written at the time. And yet what Paul says to Timothy is simply this, that what he has is more than just a collection of writings. That truth, learning, and belief that have been a part of Timothy's world were all connected to these sacred writings. So you need to know as we come together today that if you have a copy of God's word, you have the, the sacred writings of God. It's more, he says, it's scripture in verse 16. This, this takes the argument from the whole down to the part, and what Paul is saying is it's not just the totality of the scripture that's sacred, but the individual verses, the passages, the chapters. Paul is trying to help Timothy know that the, the body of scriptures that he has been exposed to throughout his lifetime is designed to help him spiritually, but even the individual verses themselves, that what he has, what Timothy has, what you and I have, are these beautiful and holy words from a God who intends to speak. So what you have when you read the Bible is not just a book among other books. You have a book that God wrote, 
his communication to you. Sacred writings, scripture, and then it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So what is the Bible? It's sacred writings, it's scripture, but it's also breathed out, or you may have heard this term before, that it's inspired. Old English translations use that word to define and explain what breathed out means, but newer translations have moved away from that word, and here's why. Because sometimes people get confused between something that's inspiring versus something that's inspired. They're not the same thing. Inspiring means that it was moving, that it, um, it, it caught you in your heart and did something. And true, the Bible should certainly do that, but it's not inspired because the Bible's inspiring. Rather, to be inspired means that God breathed it, that endued within the quality of scriptures is the authority of God's word himself. It connects the passages of the Bible to the authority of God. It affirms that the same God who spoke in the universe was created as the same God who now has spoken through a book. So that when we receive instruction from the scriptures, it's not just that we're studying the Bible, it is that we are receiving instruction from the God of the universe. We are receiving instruction from a God who is holy, a God who is right, a God who is true. That when we open the Bible, we're not opening it just to study it, to learn about it, we're studying it so we can see something about God. It is God's word. In other places in the New Testament, Writers indicate the inspirational quality of the Bible. It says this in 2 Peter 1, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, meaning we have unique personalities, unique writing styles, unique backgrounds. Luke writes with the tenacity and the grammar of a physician, where John writes in a very colloquial and sort of lower grade level. Their educational levels are seen even in how they write. Their own personalities are, are seen. Paul writes like a lawyer. He starts with the, the beautiful argument. John is more circular in his reason, reasoning. And yet what the Bible tells us is they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Their words have the authority of God because they were the words of God. As the New Testament was written, it, came, it carried the same authority as the Old Testament. Peter said as such as it relates to Paul's words. He says this in 2 Peter 3, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So what's happening here is that Peter is saying that Paul's writings should be viewed as scripture itself. Now why is this important? It's important because how you view the Bible and how you think about the Bible affects how you listen to the Bible. If the Bible is just one book among any other books, when you come on Sunday, you could come with a perspective of, well, let's come and see what this interesting talk is about. Or let's come and see if I can somehow um, analyze what's in the pages of scripture. You can come with a, a guardedness, a jadedness, even where you sort of put yourself in a position of sort of casting judgment on the scriptures themselves. 
maybe having a perspective of convince me that this is true, convince me that I should believe this, convince me that I should act on this. But if you believe that the Bible is inspired and if you believe that it is authoritative, oh, then the word of God has to be listened to in a different way. In fact, it has to be communicated in a different way. If the word of God indeed is authoritative, then my task in communicating, and anyone's task who is preaching the word, is to help you get as close as we can to what the word actually says, because the authority comes not from the creativity of the preacher, not from the applicability of the points, the authority comes from the accuracy to the very word of God. And that's where life change happens. So your ability to change is directly proportional to my ability to help you see exactly what the word says. This is a life-giving concept. It's a preserving concept. In fact, one of our core values here at College Park is the idea of the authority of the word. Since this church's founding, it's been committed to a weekly exposition of the scriptures, an explaining of what the, of the authority of the word means, and then trying as best as we can to live our lives in accordance with that. In fact, if you look at the core values that are out in the atrium, turn around and look, you'll see the preeminence of Jesus, number one, the authority of the word. Those two core values have been the two pillars that have held this church together over its 30 plus year history. And for those of you who've been around longer than the last 10 years will know that there was a season that you wondered if this church was even gonna be around. And I'll tell you the reason it is here is because the authority of the word was the preserving agency throughout the life of this church. It always is the preserving agency of the life of the church. The word is that which brings life to God's people. That's one of the reasons why, and I used a term a moment ago, why on a week-to-week basis we use what we would call expositional preaching, or think of it this way as text-driven preaching. In other words, the authority of the word is in the word itself, and therefore we need to allow the word to say what it says. You can illustrate what the Bible says, but you shouldn't use the Bible to illustrate what you say. There's a world of difference. Again, you can illustrate what the Bible says, but we can't use the Bible to illustrate what I say. And the reason that that's important is because at the end of the day, your hope for life change and the power for you to really have something different take place in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit is directly connected to your understanding of what the Bible says. And this then has impact on listening. If the Bible really is the breath of God, if it really is inspired, if it really contains what we need for life and godliness, then, church, we ought to listen to the scriptures. We ought to listen to the Bible. And let's be honest, the dynamic in our present culture makes it harder on preachers. This is a tough environment culturally to be a B-rate preacher. And here's why, because never in the history of Christianity have Christians had so much access to the global diet of the finest and best preaching from all over the world. You can hear the best and most talented communicators in the world at any moment. And that has caused changes in terms of how we listen. We're always in the middle of a sort of communication and technological revolution. Think, for instance, what happened when the printing press took place and was invented, how that changed the landscape of Christianity. Think, for instance, how radio changed how we listen. Think how TV and cable TV has changed how we interact with information. And then think of the advent of the Internet and how in our lifetimes, yes, in our lifetimes, kids, there was a time when there wasn't Internet. 
One of my sons a number of years asked, asked me, uh, a number of years ago asked me, Dad, you didn't have internet when you were in high school? I was like, no. Al Gore hadn't invented it yet. We had to figure that out. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, what in the world did you do? How did that happen? I said, how did you communicate? I said, well, it's a funny thing. We just, we talked to people, right? <laughs> we had phones that had cords on them. Like my house growing up, it was a an avocado-colored phone with like a 30-foot-long curly, uh, curly cord. You could walk all the way, and it was, it was hard to talk to your girlfriend when that thing was there, right? You, you had to kind of go around a corner, lock yourself in a bathroom or something like that, but your parents could always find you because they could just kind of trace the cord and figure out where you were. The point is this, is that in the middle of all of this, our attention spans are getting shorter, our ability to really lock in and listen. You feel it, don't you? So tempted to be distracted, checking a text, Facebook status, what's the weather like? You can, check in, you can even check the pronunciation of a Greek word, if I hit it or not, in your Google uh, search engine in the middle of your sermon. Don't do that, by the way. <laughs> so instead of asking, was this sermon true? Was it faithful? Was it clear? Some of us start with, was it engaging? Was it interesting? Was it funny? Was it heartfelt? Was it applicable? And while those questions aren't necessarily wrong to ask of the text, it's not advisable to ask them first. Instead, we need to think of sermons not like a TED Talk, not like a podcast, not like a lecture, and certainly not like a pep rally. Church, I want to call you today to come on Sundays with humble hearts, ready to receive the Bible for what it is. It is the authoritative, inspired word of God. If this really is the word of God, and if you believe it, then what ought your posture to be as you come to listen? What the word is informs how we listen. Secondly, this text helps us to see what the word is for. So if that's what the word is, then what is the word for? Go back to verse 14. But you, as you continue in what you, notice this, have learned and have firmly believed. So the word is both for learning and in that learning connects to belief. In other words, this is very basic, but you can't believe what you don't know. And therefore, the more you know, the more you know what to believe. What's more, the word is for being lived out. He says, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Listen, one of the very helpful ways that the word affects our lives is the way it shapes us individually, the way it shapes even the people that we know and trust. So therefore, the word of God lived out in the life of another believer increases the faith of others. So if you have a story where you were raised in a Christian home, where a mom or a dad understood the claims of Christ, they helped you to understand the Bible, and your life, like mine, was embedded with the fabric of the Bible throughout your upbringing years, you ought to thank God that you, of all people, had that as your story of your past. It's an enormous gift. You ought to thank God for those people. If you're a new believer and that hasn't been your story, here's your chance. Your children raised in your home, 
with the scriptures being embedded into the very fabric of your family life can serve not only to guide their future but also give them confidence in terms of what they believe. And what's more, our children learn to listen and they learn what's important by virtue of how we conduct ourselves. So make no mistake about it, your attentiveness, your being all in as it relates to listening to sermons sends a strong message and the other side does as well. If you approach this moment in our worship service as merely something for you to try and be convinced or something that you must be entertained by, it won't be missed on your children that this is just something that I can take or leave it depending on if this guy can get through to me. Next, it's profitable for something significant. It's profitable in order to make you wise for salvation. He says, from how childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, and these are able to make you wise, wise for salvation. What does this mean? It means that the Bible is able to break through into our lives and help us to see the reality of who we are and the hope that's offered to us in the person and work of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you probably could tell me the story of that moment when whether it was through a friend or through a book that you were reading or maybe a sermon in the context of a Sunday gathering that suddenly your eyes saw it. You saw your sin. You saw the the reason of the brokenness that was in you and you also saw the hope that was offered to you in Christ and as a result, you saw and in believing and believing you were converted and that's how you became a Christian. And today if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, my hope is that that will happen to you maybe today or very soon. The Bible is able to make us wise for salvation. It never ceases to amaze me the unique ways that God does that in each of our lives. By the way, that's one reason that every Sunday at some level I try to connect the text to the story of the gospel. We're trying to rehearse the gospel throughout our entire service, but part of my responsibility is also to figure out how to rehearse the gospel with any text that we're in. And here's why. Because if you invite a friend that you care for and you want to help them to find hope in Christ, I don't want you ever wondering, will Mark talk about the gospel today? In fact, one of the most discouraging questions I think that you could ask, and one of the most telling questions that you could ask a preacher would be this, hey, I'm bringing a friend next week. Are you going to talk about the gospel? (laughs) Don't ask me that, please. Even if you legit know. If you legitly wonder that, then let's talk. Because my hope and my prayer is that every week you would know that in some way and in some fashion, this text is going to help us to see what the gospel is, what it means, and what it does. So here's how this works. I'd like to issue you a challenge. And that is this, over the next number of weeks, would you pray about inviting someone to come with you to church? Some of you, it's been a long time since you've invited anyone And there's people all around you who are looking for hope, looking for answers, and here's what I would ask you to do. You invite, and I'll present, and then you can explain. The great thing is, if the person doesn't like what I say, I'm not there, you can say, yeah, 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 I didn't like it. you, You get a nice out in that scenario, or you could say, well, look, here's what he was trying to say, and here's how this has worked out in my own life, and you can contextualize the story of the gospel, and this is how the beautiful partnership works in terms of helping people to understand the hope that they could have in Jesus. You invite, I explain, 
or I present, rather, and you explain. The text goes on and says that Scripture is not only breathed out in verse 16, but it's also profitable. It's profitable for what? There's five things. It's profitable for teaching, which means it's able to help you, help me understand who God is and understand our need for the gospel. The Bible teaches us what is right. It's also profitable for reproof. The word of God shines a light on the wrong path. It helps us to know where we're wrong. And friends, we need the Bible to tell us where we're wrong. Correction. The Word of God is able to redirect people in terms of what they think and how they act. Here's the beautiful hope of the Scriptures. It is that you can actually change by virtue of the Word of God taking control of your life. The old patterns, the thoughts, the habits, the situations that got you into trouble, those don't have to be a part of your story anymore. There's actually hope for correction. That's what the Bible can do. And then training. The Word of God is able to help people to keep growing and moving along in their godliness. They're able to help others to change as well. And then it says, for training in righteousness, that verse 17, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But here the Word of God provides the spiritual resources for everything and anything that God calls us to do. In that respect, there is an enormous amount of power in the Word. On Monday evening, our elders were meeting together, and we, kind of coming out of our last Sunday, which was an unbelievable Sunday, we sang together. We sang, I don't know, five, six, seven hymns together, and one of those was, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And there's a line in that hymn that just grabbed me this week when it says, That word above all earthly powers. What is that word? What is that word that's above all earthly powers? It's this word. It's the word of Christ. And then it goes on and it says, one little word shall fell him. So if Satan has tempted you or your flesh has gotten a hold of you in the last week, can I just remind you that now, in this very moment, the word of God is able to reshape your minds and hearts and to help you to know what path you should follow for the next six days. And this word is able to correct And then finally, we find that it's able to equip us for every good work. This is really important because there's a a direct connection between understanding the Bible and then the effect that it's supposed to have on our lives. There's a connection between what you believe and then how you obey. Think of it this way, and they're related to one another. What you believe then should result in obedience, and when you obey it, you believe it even more. And as you believe it more, you obey even more. And as you obey even more, you believe even more. And as you believe even more, you obey even more. That there's this beautiful cycle that's taking place. And what happens in this moment is that you have assurance. Look, I believe this. This is true, and this actually works. And on the other side of the equation is what happens when we either don't apply the word or don't obey it, and we don't believe it. We begin to lose confidence both in what we believe and in our own assurance. So understand that The purpose of understanding the Bible is not just to understand the Bible. Let me speak really candidly. I think this is something that we as a church need to think about. Because the thing that we're known for and the thing that we do really well at lots of levels and in lots, lots of different scenarios is help people to understand the Bible from classes and small groups and Sunday morning gatherings and ladies' Bible studies and men's Bible studies. We have a 
an educated group of people. But here's the caution. The caution is, is that you could have so much content and not apply the content such that you begin to convince yourself that you're okay because you know the content as opposed to having lived out the content. And the more content you get, the more interested you become in the wording behind the language and the historical context behind the book and the socioeconomic dynamics that were taking place. The more interested you become, it's actually a Christian form of itching ears that we're gonna see in a moment, that what's new and novel becomes the appetite that you develop instead of, this is the word, how do I apply it? So be careful if your heart tends more towards, I love this information, as opposed to, I love the obedience that this information produces. On the other side of the equation, you've probably also seen it happen where somebody believes something that just isn't true, and if you begin to trace how they came to believe that, it was because they chose to live a particular way, and they tried to find somebody to help justify their actions. Mark Dever says, ungodliness leads to heresy. Here's another quote by Lincoln Duncan who says this, we may think I'll never stop believing in the inspiration, infallibility, inerrancy, and authority of the scriptures, but if we let our hearts start loving something or someone more than the God of scripture, start loving something more than the promises of the word, we are only one step away from denying the scriptures and walking away from the faith. So what is the word for? The word is for equipping, for training, for correction, for reproof, for teaching, for salvation, for discipleship, for belief, and it is for obedience. And the beautiful thing is, is that we get to do all of that together as we gather on the Lord's day. And it's no wonder that we should listen carefully. Finally, then, what's at stake? So what the Bible's for, what the Bible is, now what is at stake? Look at chapter four and verse one. He loads up some charges on Timothy. I charge you, and then notice how, what he appeals to. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and by his kingdom. So there's, there's like four or five pretty significant contextual charges that he gives them. Timothy, listen, what is he appealing for Timothy to do? He says, verse two, preach the word. What does that mean? It means to herald, it means to announce, it means to tell people what the Bible says. It both announces the good news that's offered through Christ and also announces the danger of future judgment. So preaching involves both hope and warning. Then he says to Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? It means preach when it's popular, preach when it's not. It means that there needs to be a consistency of message and effort and faithfulness to the text. It means that the steady diet of God's people needs to be marked by this heralding that's taking place week after week as people are lovingly reproved and rebuked and exhorted. What's more? Paul says that this must be done with patience. Why patience? Because we're dealing with people. And also because life change does not happen quickly. So there is something beautiful and very, very helpful about you hopefully being able to wake up on a Sunday and know that when I come to my church, I'm going to hear a faithful explanation of the word. And my hope is that you come because that's true. And I hope that you don't come just because it's novel or new. In fact, part of the attraction of being at a place now for 
almost 10 years is the fact that I'm more like your favorite recliner than I am like some new piece of Ikea furniture that you just bought. I'm familiar, I'm comfortable at one level, and that's good, it is. That week after week, month after month, year after year, there's this incremental change that's happening in your life and in mine, and that's what it means to be faithful, to be ready in season and out of season. Part of the reason we have to be patient is because God is always doing far less than you'd know and far more than you'd ever know. So, look at verse three. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Notice that, to suit their own passions. They, they, they want something, so they go and find a teacher who fits what they want to hear. And they will turn aside from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. So the idea is that Paul warns Timothy, and this isn't just true in his day, it's true in our own, that rather than listening to sound teaching, they will find teaching that fits what they really want, what their own desires are. And listen, in the advent of an internet age, you could find this so easily now. And secondly, rather than listening to the truth, they instead turn aside to myths. They find people who will merely affirm what they want to hear. And so they wander into things that are new and speculative and unanchored from the truth of the word, and they, they love the newness because it's new. In general, if somebody says to you, I have found something new in the Bible, you ought to be very, very cautious. So the warning then is to be careful with our passions, that they not pull us away from the centrality of the word. Oh, church, be careful that we are not more taken by personality than we are by accuracy to the text. Be careful that you're not more enamored by a good story than by a good explanation of what the passage says. Be careful that you're not more interested in what does it mean to me at the neglect of what does God say in his word. And be careful to not be so moved by the style or the creativity that you're not broken over the content of the word. So the idea is that we come to the word as if heaven and hell are on the line every week because, quite frankly, they are. And we must remember that our goal is not just to hear. No, our goal is to really listen because the Bible is the word of God and it is for our help and instruction. Now finally, let me give you some recommendations for listening. Let me give you seven of them. There's a guy named Christopher Ash who literally wrote the book on how to listen to sermons. Literally, there's a book on Amazon called How to Listen to Sermons. And if this isn't enough for you and you need some extra help, go buy the book. It's, it, it, apparently, it's a good one. Let me just give you these seven things as to how you should listen to sermons. This will be online, and if you can't write these down fast enough, you can get it later. Number one, expect God to speak. When you come, could you come with an expectant heart, with an open heart, ready to listen to the word, ready to receive, that you're coming not with an attitude of, hmm, wonder if he can convince me today, but rather you'd come, I'm here, I'm hungry, I wanna learn. Number two, can you admit that God knows better than you do? He knows what sermon that you need. He knows what text you need. He knows what Sunday you need. And our obligation is to sit humbly under the word, not in judgment over the word. 
Number three, make sure the preacher says what the passage says. Again, because of the fact that authority and life change comes from the text, as I or anyone teaches you, be sure you can see where the Bible indeed says that. Number four, hear the sermon in church. A sermon is how God shapes a community together. Now listen, we have a live stream of this service. The live stream is meant for people who are sick. (laughs) Point number five. (laughs) Be there week by week. Come, sit in the same place so we know where you are. Sit by the same people so you can hold one another accountable. Hear the word week in and week out. Be here. Be on time. Don't be distracted. Be ready to listen. Be fully present. Your phone can be turned off. Your mind can be focused. This is a moment to receive the grace that comes through the authoritative word. Number six. Do what the Bible says. Consider every week what God is calling you to do. Not just what does the word say, but what does the Bible say in terms of what you should then do. And then number seven, rejoice at the fact that God has given you the beautiful word. He's granted you the grace to know him and granted you the opportunity to hear from him again. What a gift that is. Ash continues, he says this, be glad God caused the Bible to be written exactly as he wanted. Be glad for the good news of all he's given us in Christ. If you're a believer, be glad your name is written in heaven. Let each time you sit with your covenant family in Christ listening to a sermon be a time of fresh repentance, fresh reliance, and fresh obedience to your king. Amen. You see, what preaching is, is essentially the beautiful mingling of gravity and gladness. It's the mingling of those two, that when we gather together and worship and as we listen to the Bible, we are, in effect, affirming what we believe, and we're also longing for more. More of what? More stories? More word studies? More application? Maybe? But the point of a sermon is that you would want more of God. That's the point. That as you see the text, you see through a window, and in seeing through that window, you come with a ready heart with the assembly of God's people, and your heart is hungry to see the beauty of who and what God is. And when you look through the window of God's word, you get a glimpse of glory. You see the power of the Holy Spirit, and then when the word comes, you know surely God is in this place. So church, let us come to worship Let us come and gather together in order to see the glory of God through the preaching of his word. This is God's holy word. This is the word. Thanks be to God for it. Oh, Father, we pray that you would make the word 
run deep into our lives and run deep into our church so that we could be the kind of people who not only hear the word and receive the word, but who obey the word. God, give us grace. So many things that cloud our minds, so many things that would draw us away from hearing from you every Sunday. And just even today, we want to ask you, Lord, what is it that you want us to do? For some, it's to spend some better time with you individually. For some, it's to come with a more prepared heart for the Lord's day. Others, it's the the opportunity to really think through what is this Sunday about in terms of their eternal destiny. Oh God, by your word now and your spirit, we pray that you would speak to us. We thank you for the inspired, authoritative scriptures. We love you and we want more of you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.